Welcome to the Virginia Economic Review podcast. Hello, this is Stephen Moray. I'm the president and CEO of the Virginia Economic Development Partnership, or VDP, and we are thrilled today to have this opportunity to interview John Reinhardt, the CEO and executive director of the Port of Virginia. The Port of Virginia has become one of Virginia's most significant economic assets, and with hundreds of millions of dollars in smart investments over the last several years, it's becoming one of the most advanced ports in the world. John, can you talk a little bit about what's happened over the last several years? This has really been a transformative period in the history of the Port of Virginia. It's been one certainly led by you and your team, but also supported to a very large extent by the General Assembly and multiple governors of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Can you talk about what's happened over the last several years and really where the port is going right now? Absolutely. Thank you, Stephen, and good morning. Five years ago, we set a plan to reinvent and and redevelop all of the Port of Virginia's great assets because we have one of the best natural harbors anywhere in the world. And we had not been investing in the port for a number of years. So we reopened PMT, which was closed, to give us some room to move. And then we started a capital plan, $320 million improvement to double Virginia International Gateway. And it's a semi-automated terminal, state-of-the-art technology. And we're completing that right now. It'll be open and done by June of this year. At the same time, we went to our largest facility, Norfolk International Terminals, and we put together, it's about a $400 million plan, and that was backed by the General Assembly. We got $350 million from the General Assembly to do that construction, and we're underway. We're about 40% complete, and we'll finish that by fall of next year. So what we've done is we've added a million containers of capacity. So in order of magnitude, last year we did a million seven. We had a million containers of capacity by next fall. It gives us the ability to go out and sell and attract more business to the Commonwealth. And that being done, we also are going wider, deeper, and safer. And the General Assembly has also funded that. It's a $350 million advance so that we can take our channels to 55 feet in the Inner Harbor, 56 feet out in the Chesapeake Bay. We can go from 1,000 foot wide to 13, 1,400 foot wide, which gives us two-way traffic. So that's amazing because we won't have delays. We'll be very accessible for the larger ships that are calling. And we're really excited about that. We'll go to RFP this summer, and we'll start dredging in January. The fastest any port has moved through the Army Corps of Engineers requirements for engineering, reevaluation, review, preliminary engineering and design. And by having the money from the state, that will be enough to do the whole project until the federal government's share can be obtained through WARDA and other uh, congressional action. It's been an incredibly exciting time, not just in terms of the capabilities of the Port of Virginia, but just watching the change in the physical landscape here. One of the things that I've been really impressed with uh, in Virginia is the way that all of the port facilities are really coordinated under one big umbrella. Can you talk to a little bit about both the multiple distinct port facilities here in Hampton Roads, but then also beyond Hampton Roads across the Commonwealth? I'd be happy to. We have four deep water facilities here in Hampton Roads. We have Portsmouth Marine Terminal. Virginia International Gateway, Norfolk International Terminal, and Newport News Marine Terminal. So those four are all deep water. They're right here on the Inner Harbor. Then we have two inland port facilities. Up in Northern Virginia, we have Virginia Inland Port, and that's all served by rail. It's a daily rail service with Norfolk Southern. And then in Richmond, about 100 miles up the river, we have the Richmond Marine Terminal, which we serve by barge. So we're taking trucks off of the 64 road. This year, uh, we'll probably do 41,000 containers up there. If you think about it, it's 82,000 trucks that were taken off of our freeways to make it safer It's environmentally responsible because you have one engine pulling all those containers back and forth. We take them up and down the river at night so we can work them in the daytime. So it really is putting together a whole plan. And 
you, you mentioned the facilities. We have all the same terminal operating software now. We're using Navis N4 to run all of our facilities so we can harmonize the way we operate. It makes it much more effective to work with the marketplace. And when we go down to uh, the carriers, as the ships get larger, we can move carriers from one terminal to another to facilitate berth availability. So it gives us a better marketing tool to attract more business to Virginia. It's an incredible array of assets. John, if I'm not mistaken, didn't the the way that the, sort of the way the port was named and talked about changed a little bit over the last few years? Yes, we really started to accelerate the branding of the Port of Virginia because lots of times in the past people thought the port was just a Hampton Roads thing. So we've been telling the whole Commonwealth about the value of their port, the Port of Virginia, because we are an economic engine and a, and a catalyst for commerce across the Commonwealth. In just the last four years, there have been 160 announcements of port users that have either relocated here or expanded here. More than $4 billion invested in CapEx in Virginia and 15,000 jobs. So that's where we touch together very well, working to attract new businesses to the Commonwealth, levering off of the capacity and the strength that we've created at the Port of Virginia. Well, I think that name has really helped everyone in Virginia realize that this really is a statewide asset. Uh, that's probably true in every state that has a major deep water port, but I think the story gets told better here for the name and for all the other things that you all have done to uh, make that possible. One of the other things that's really unique about economic development in Virginia and how it relates to the port is that we sit on each other's boards. As the head of VDP, as the head of economic development, I sit on the board of the Virginia Port Authority, which is the governing authority over the Port of Virginia. You, as the CEO and executive director of the Port of Virginia, Virginia sit on the board of VDP. And I think that's really brought the port and the economic development apparatus of the Commonwealth much, much closer together. Absolutely. And if you look at it, we also second one of our economic development people in your office in Richmond. You have some of your staff in our office here. We collaborate greatly with VDP on international trade. So we're always working with your team because we are one entity, the Commonwealth of Virginia. We have to sell off of our strengths and we have to address the needs of different markets, the manufacturing, supply chain, warehouse, you know, office. We're trying to attract all these different businesses. So we have to really kind of articulate our story better. And I think that's what grown quite a bit. A little over five years ago when I came here, we started a dialogue. We started a story. We started our branding. We started our investment. A little over two years ago now, you came and you did the exact same thing at VDP. You've refreshed it. You've refocused it. And you've got it running in a way. So now by us collaborating, we're unstoppable. We're seeing hundreds of millions of dollars of growth. We're seeing advanced technology. We're seeing growth in volumes across the board. It's been a great success story. At the same time, it is a very competitive environment out there. So we're always looking to try to stay a couple steps ahead. I'd be curious, John, as you think about competing with the other ports on the East Coast of the United States, what is it that sets Port of Virginia apart today? And what are some of the things that we're doing to really help expand the leading position we have in the future? Well, if we look back in 2016 in June is when the Panama Canal opened its new channels. So that allowed 14,400 TEU ships to come from Asia through the canal to the East Coast. We're ideally situated in the middle of the East Coast port structures. All of our infrastructure has been accelerated so that we can attract these larger ships coming through the Panama Canal or as manufacturing goes to Southeast Asia and around to India through the Suez Canal. So we are an attractive port that for them to come on first ends, last outs, and we are going to be relevant in the future. A lot of ports don't have the infrastructure plan going and the investments going, so they will not be able to stay competitive in a very changing environment. It's all about large ships. In January of 2020, they all have to go to clean fuel, so fewer stops. The carriers are looking at their networks to try to clean up their networks so that they don't have as much cost for fuel 
when they go to cleaner burning fuels. So we're working with all of the carriers to say, we have beautiful natural harbor, no air draft restrictions, direct access to the major deep water facilities. We've added berths, we've added cranes, we've added infrastructure on land, and we've modernized and doubled our rail so that we can serve the Midwest markets as well as the Commonwealth. When you talk about building the capacity for greatness, is that a lot of what what that's about that you just shared? Absolutely. Because by having the capacity, you really do have an open market that you can attract. You know, when when I first got to the Port of Virginia, we were running at about 95% utilization. We were running seven days a week, 24 hours a day, not reinvesting in our infrastructure. We were on a very, very dangerous slope. Now we have breathing room. We have technology. Our terminals are more safe today than ever because of the way we're using semi-automation. We're putting more dense activity. Just take NIT, for example. We're putting 30 stacks with two rail-mounted gantry cranes on them. We increased the capacity of our south berth by 400,000 containers without an additional inch of land. And oh, by the way, we went from diesel to electric. So cleaner, more responsible, denser, and then using the technology of our terminal operating software to make it flow. It's a great story and one that we like to tell. <laughs> Whenever we get the opportunities, you know, we bring uh, site consultants here, we bring top prospects to the port, and they always walk away impressed with everything that's happening in Virginia. This issue of Virginia Economic Review is all about manufacturing. Port, of course, is one of our most important economic assets in that. The issue is not just about manufacturing, it's really about the future of manufacturing, looked at through the lens of leading manufacturers doing business in the Commonwealth of Virginia. John, your, your perch as the CEO and executive director of the Port of Virginia really gives you a special view into what's going on in manufacturing, not just in the U.S., but around the world. Be curious about what trends do you see or what sort of developments do you see over the next few years in the manufacturing sector? Well, obviously, it's going to be smarter manufacturing. They're going to be using more robotics all the time. They're trying to get closer to the consumption market and still have access to other markets and their raw materials. So I think that's where we play in very well, because as those manufacturers are looking to situate themselves, they want to be in an area that has a good legal system access to energy, access to the markets, access to a workforce that we have to continue to develop. Oh, and by the way, access to raw materials and to all those foreign markets so that they could use the port to ship finished product, bring in parts, add value to the product, and then re-export it. We have a foreign trade zone that takes in all of Hampton Roads, which creates a good work environment for those that want to add value and re-export. And that's something that we manage here at the Port of Virginia. What do you think that states and communities can do to position themselves both to continue to be competitive for their existing manufacturers, but also to attract future manufacturing investment? Well, I think as we've talked a lot, first is available workforce. Second is available sites that are ready to be configured. Third is communities appreciating the value of a clean and modern manufacturing in their communities so that their population has a place to work and to stay. I mean, sometimes you have to get over the impressions and perceptions of manufacturing as being big and dirty. You know, it's not. So much of it is done in a clean way today. So they can be a good, quiet neighbor and create jobs in the, and, and a tax base in the community. So I think we're continuing to educate all the time. We have to make the manufacturers know we want them here so that they're, they're ready to come to Virginia. They're welcomed with open arms. And then we do the things that you do so well with V. Look at the workforce. Look at some of the incentives that we need to do to get them to come. Because once they're situated here, then you want to just keep them and grow them here. They aren't going to pick up and leave. Indeed. You know, we we had an opportunity with Virginia Economic Review recently to talk with Jay Timmons, 
someone who is a longtime person connected to the Commonwealth of Virginia, who leads uh, the National Association of Manufacturers, or the NAM, as he calls it, and has done so, in fact, for many years. And uh, his answers were very similar to yours, uh, John, in terms of some of those key things that to focus on in terms of investment in workforce development, number one by far, certainly, investments in infrastructure and sites and so forth. A lot of common themes that we're hearing from you, from Jay, from other leading manufacturers across the country, really. Shipping has seen a lot of changes the last few years. We're seeing probably perhaps most notably or most visibly the shift toward larger and larger ships. Of course, the Panama Canal expansion that you touched on earlier, shifting some flow from the West Coast to the East Coast. As you sort of see where things go in the future, I mean, how much bigger are these ships going to get? And what are the things that ports need to be thinking about in terms of future infrastructure investment? Well, all of the ships that are under construction now are 15,000 to 23,000 TEUs. The largest ships we have calling the East Coast right now are 14,400. So if you look at where they're building, they're going to continue to deploy the very large ships in certain markets. You'll see the 22-23s go Asia to Europe. That means they're going to displace 18,000, 16,000 TU ships. They're going to be needing to find a new route or network. So I think you'll see some of the 18 start to hit the west coast of the United States this year. And then we'll be, we've modeled and simulated to handle them here on the East Coast at the Port of Virginia. I do think there's one other interesting thing we haven't touched on, is there has been a shift before the West Coast handled almost 70% of the Asia inbound cargo to the United States, and it's because of the Panama Canal extension, because larger ships call on the East Coast, you're seeing that drop down to 50-some percent and 42% on the East Coast. So you're starting to move towards parity. And so that means that's good for us because now when you look at the population density, east of the Mississippi is the largest percentage of the population of the United States. Who's closer to them? The ports on the east coast. Who can get the cargo to them faster? The east coast. I mean, it's longer water travel, but the inland positioning is much more efficient and less costly. So I think we're sitting in a really good place for this balancing. We're never going to overtake the west coast. I don't believe that. But I think you can see parity, which is an incredible amount of additional volume. One of the things, John, that has really impressed me about the Port of Virginia and serving on the Virginia Port Authority is the the focus on both strategy and execution, short-term, medium-term, long-term. We've talked a lot about what's happened over the last few years, which is really positioning the port for the next decade and beyond. But there's even a plan beyond that for the long-term future. Can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, we put out our 2065 plan, so we have kind of a roadmap of where we want to take the port for the next five decades. And if you look at it, we are going to continue to modernize and build out our current infrastructure. We have, with the dredging, building dikes off of Craney Island, so we have a repository for clean material, and we can build another terminal in the 30s, 2034, 2035, in phases that by itself could do over 5 million containers. So I think when you look at the long-term plan, and that's new land, we're creating a site that doesn't exist today. And it's done around the world. Other ports have done it. So we already have a plan for this year, for five years, for 10 years, and 20 years and beyond. And then our other focus is how do we continue to develop our team so we have the human capital and the technology to stay current and relevant in a changing environment. And so we're spending a lot of time on that area, working with our labor and our workforce and our colleagues to grow the right talent pool. And lastly, what we have to remember is all that we're doing is to try to be safe, efficient, and thoroughly execute at a level of excellence that no other port can do, because that's your competitive edge. That's your competitive advantage. And to me, so much of what the port is doing is really almost a symbolic of Virginia's long-term focus 
on infrastructure, on creating a great operating environment for business. John, we, we learned from someone recently that, you know, next week in New York City, all the major shipping lines president, you're going to be named into the International Maritime Hall of Fame. Of course, we were very proud of that uh, because you've been such a great leader for us here uh, in, in Hampton Roads and really for the whole Commonwealth through your role as the leader of the Port of Virginia. So congratulations, first of all. Thank you very much. On behalf of all of us at VDP for that special recognition of your achievement, not just here, but really throughout your career with the maritime industry. What are you most proud of in your career, John, as you look, look back on it? Well, I started uh, going on 30 years ago. I was in the Midwest. I was in the restaurant business. I wasn't in shipping. So I became a student of shipping because I saw globalization was going to be the wave of the future. I was blessed to go work for AP Molar Merce, which was one of the greatest companies in the shipping business. And I've quickly learned around our, our activities around the globe how the human element was important, how you had to collaborate how you had to maintain integrity, how you always had to try to grow your business in a safe and responsible way. So my time at AP Moeller, 24 years, was just a beautiful experience. The last 14 years, I was a CEO of the U.S. Flag Group. So that let me work with our military. And we were providing the capacity for our, our military. So shipping tying to national defense, national security was important. And I really was honored by that. <laughs> And I moved to Virginia in 2000, so I watched what was going on at the Port of Virginia. I had run a terminal operating company in the mid-90s for the AP Molar Maersk, and the port needed to have someone come in that could be forceful, focused, and move it to where it needed to go. So I took this job because I wanted to create a competitive port that could stand on the international stage. I took this job because I wanted to create jobs for Americans. And I took this job so that Virginia could compete like no other port. So I'm just pleased that I've had the opportunity to work in this industry. It's a wonderful industry for almost 30 years. And I'm really privileged to have the chance to try to capstone my career here in Virginia and do this as my final chapter. So, you know, Captain Phillips was one of our ships 10 years ago. 10 years ago on April 9th, I had a ship, the Alabama, taken by pirates. And our Navy came through and rescued Captain Phillips, the Navy and the SEALs. Talk about a really dangerous moment, but a moment of history. And the interesting thing out of that was then they made it a book and a movie. And some of the people in this country realized America is a maritime nation and we have a Navy and we have a capability on the commercial side that they weren't aware of. You know, our industry is ubiquitous, but it's unknown. So what you have to do is try to put some texture and tone to that because people see the containers everywhere. Everything you eat, wear, touch, you know, might have come on a ship. 95% of our freight comes by ship. And so we just have to continue to tell the story so that they understand the importance of the maritime industry, even in the Midwest, even out in Kansas, for say, you know, say, because we move American agricultural product. So we do great stuff. You know, John, many, many of your peers across the country kind of come up through the port business, and that's certainly a legitimate way to go. But we've really benefited in Virginia from your deep experience with Maersk and with shipping all the other aspects of the customer side of the business before running the port. We're so grateful for that. One of the things I'm looking forward to following up with you on, perhaps on a future podcast, is the great work that we're working on together now to build out sites across Virginia. You know, as we've talked about, the port is really positioned now to support a great deal of additional growth in containers and other cargo. We've got to make sure that we're driving the activity in logistics and manufacturing to be able to really take advantage of this great asset that you're building. And of course, we're working very closely on that as well as other things. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us today uh, before, we, before we wrap up? Well, one, I'm just so happy that you're in the role you're in at VDP and the team that you've assembled is very powerful. 
congratulations on HQ2. I mean, I know that consumed every waking hour and though some even through the night for your whole team. And that was a real tribute because it told the story of Virginia. So now as we turn outward, we just have to continue to be efficient and effective in how we market our state, market the Commonwealth, because there's so much potential in Virginia. It's a wonderful place to live. It's a great place to work. Our university system's unparalleled. You look at the school systems that we have and the great education, we want to keep our young people here. You know, we don't want to export the talent for tomorrow. So I look forward to working with you and just helping to attract new businesses, which creates jobs, which creates community here in Virginia. And next week, your team and our team are going to work together. We're going to start up in Front Royal with some site selection folks. And they're going to day there, a day in Richmond, a day down here. That collaborative effort is going to show a whole new part of Virginia to some people that we want to attract to the Commonwealth. So I know we have a board meeting today, and you've got a lot of exciting things we're going to talk about. I just want to continue to work with you and your team. I think right now we have positioned with the administration that we have, with the secretaries that we have, with the General Assembly support that we have, with the team you've assembled and the team we've assembled, I think we're in a really magical moment for Virginia. And we just got to make it while we can. I agree, John. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the great work you're doing at the Port of Virginia. And we're going to look forward to chronicling this great success story in the months and years to come. Thank you, Stephen. And it's all the people that do it. It's our team. So thank you very much. Indeed. Thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by the Virginia Economic Development Partnership. Thanks for listening.